2: Stocks had been making a big comeback throughout the session, but those gains have now gone away. This is the make or break hour for your money. Welcome to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen, live today in Washington. The Dow is positive, but the S&P 500 is now down about three quarters of one percent. The Nasdaq is also falling down 1.4%. Looks like we lost some of those gains and some headlines in the last few moments from the Bank of England, of course, watching the turmoil there in the bond market. We'll get to that in just a moment. There's the impact on the U.S. We see continued rising rates. There's the 10 year 3.9 percent. So pressure on the U.S. bond market. Take a live look at some of the names that have been driving the comeback in the Dow, which did, by the way, just dip into negative territory. We still got some gainers out there. Amgen, Walmart, Walgreens. Johnson & Johnson and travelers as far as what is subtracting the most from the Dow, the banks, Goldman Sachs, Microsoft, Salesforce, Visa, and JP Morgan. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk live to CME Group CEO Terry Duffy about the big swings in the bond markets, which are being watched very closely right now by equity investors. And coming up on Overtime, don't miss my exclusive interview with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen on the increasingly dire warnings about the global slowdown and how she views the U.S. economy and the U.S. markets right now. Let's get straight to the market dashboard, though, to break down these big moves. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli, Mike, just when it was looking good, got that news from the Bank of England. What happened?
3: Well, yes, yeah, Aaron. and it shows you just how tentative this market is. Uh, we spent some more time this morning right around the year-to-date lows, in fact, made a marginal new low. We got this rally as bond yields calmed down. It seemed as if European markets closed. We didn't have to worry for a little while about what was happening over there with the Bank of England now saying pension funds have just three days to sort out their exposures and try to rebalance their funds because the Bank of England will no longer be supporting the bond market over there after that period. That seemed to just be a- another excuse for the market to take this leg lower. So you see here, we're basically sort of testing that September 30 low level. Um, You could call it a retest. You can say that the market hasn't accelerated to the downside or found really a lot of new aggressive sellers down at these levels. Of course, it also looked that way in prior lows when we did try to actually gather ourselves as the market was stair-stepping on its way down. So no conclusions yet, but we are oversold and seasonals start to get better. We need to get through that CPI number on Thursday, clearly without the bond market really uh, having another bit of a tantrum. Take a look at growth versus value. It's been consistent. Value has been outperforming. Growth stocks, uh, weighed down by the mega cap tech stocks that were leaders last year, have been leaders. It's a two-year chart. That's a pretty good margin, 15% uh, percentage point outperformance by value. You might say, is that it? Is the tank empty for value? Well, look at a really long-term chart. This is the S&P value index relative to the S&P itself since all the way back in 2001. That was a bear market. That's when growth stocks imploded back in 2000 and 2001. So you see, just a decade plus of underperformance has just barely started to gather itself. Now, the problem, Sarah, is a lot of cyclical stocks in here, not all of them, but a lot of them, uh, financials and things like that. So it doesn't seem like it's all clear, but those stocks are even cheaper relative to growth than they were when all this started.
2: We've got a lot of catalysts coming up, Mike. We've got Fed minutes, coming tomorrow. Then we have the CPI report, the inflation report on Thursday. And then we have bank earnings kicking off. And I was curious about your take on the setup for banks. Financials getting hit pretty hard right now, down 1.3 percent. And what we're likely to hear as far as caution, building up reserves for loan losses, combined with what should be better profitability on the back of rising rates.
3: For sure. I think it's going to be a similar story where they don't really see a lot of problems in the last three months consumer uh, seems still healthy. We still have a little bit of that savings cushion left over. One issue is uh, the corporate credit market has had a rough go. Uh, Corporate bond issuance has really dried up and spreads are blown out. So they may have to take some hits on that front. I think the CPI matters almost more than anything else because unless it really does start to come in and seem like it's getting more benign, whatever we hear from the Fed in terms of going a little slower isn't really going to have a lot of weight. It's not going to gain purchase in the market if that's the case. But, you know, banks Again, they're going to be kind of considered guilty until proven innocent on their credit exposures, even though they look cheap, even though the yields are helping them out in terms of their net interest margins.
2: And the commentary on the markets and the economy will be so key, I think. Mike, thank you. We'll see you later. Mike Santoli, stay close for us at the New York Stock Exchange. Let's get into our top story. The gig may be up for gig economy stocks. Look at shares of Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash right now, they are sinking. On the back of a new proposal from the Biden Labor Department that could pave the way for gig workers to reclassify as employees instead of as independent contractors. The proposal still needs to go through a formal regulatory process, including time for the public to submit comments. In a statement to CNBC, Uber's head of federal affairs says it is, quote, crucial that the Biden administration continues to hear from the 50 million people who have found an earning opportunity with companies like ours, both Lyft and DoorDash say they are not anticipating any changes to their business and the rule will not reclassify workers as employees. Joining us now is Bradley Tusk from Tusk Ventures. He was an early investor in Uber, a former political consultant for the company. This is right in your wheelhouse at the intersection of tech uh, and regulatory <laughs> and regulatory uh, issues. You, you've advocated in the past that these companies should classify their workers as employees. So do you applaud this move by the Biden no, administration?
1: I don't want to applaud either side of it, because I think that we're in a world where we have a structure that was developed in the 1930s, where we had W-2 on one side and 1099 on the other. And everyone, for their own economic interests, is pushing the world as if we're still living in 1936. So if you're the unions, what do you really want? You want more members, you want more dues. You can only get that if people become W-2 full-time workers. So that's why they're pushing that. That's why the Biden administration issued this rule. If you are the platform's what do you want? You want the lowest operating cost possible, so you want everyone as an independent contractor. The reality is we live in a world where the sharing economy is a new way uh, to work, and there's no reason we can't come up with a world that's a little more thoughtful, it's a little more, more policy work involved. But to say these are basic protections that workers should have, disability, workers' comp, whatever it is, and they still deserve the flexibility to choose their own kind of work and make their own schedules, and the lack of this not happening is not because it's, it's bad policy making. It's just because everyone is completely focused on politics and their bottom line.
2: How about the market reaction, Bradley? We're seeing a pretty sharp sell off, even though some of the analysts I was reading a KeyBank research report saying this is totally overdone. And then even if those these go through, it's less than 5 percent of Uber and, and Lyft's workforce that actually work more than 40 hours a week and would see higher costs from the company.
1: Right, so you're not looking at a 20 to 30% increase in operating costs like Uber and Lyft and DoorDash are the saying. It's clearly going to be a lot lower than that. At the same time, um, I think that you have a world where we have to worry about in you know, a tight labor market is the supply of workers still going to be there for an Uber, for a Lyft, for a DoorDash, for an Instacart? Um, all of a sudden, the workers have to say, this is now my full time job and I have to pay union dues. And I have to only work here and nowhere else. And so I think if you're the platforms, you're concerned, one, about increased operating costs. But you're also just concerned about uh, an already tight worker market becoming even tighter and not having enough drivers to do the work.
2: So do you think they're going to eat those higher costs ultimately? Or consumers are going to pay those higher costs because they can just pass it off?
1: Of course, we're going to pay those higher costs. Um, That's always the case. Um, And look, You've got a world right now where uh, the workers are in the drops. That might change as inflation continues to go up and interest rates go up. Um, But right now, um, I think Shift Smart's latest data said that for every four jobs available uh, for a gig economy worker, they accept one of them. So right now, the companies are in need, um, and they will absorb the costs. But long term, like they always do, regulatory costs, despite what I think many of the left seem to think, doesn't get absorbed by the stock market or by the Fortune 500 or by the companies. It gets absorbed by the consumers. And so every time you put a new cost, a new burden on a company, you're just taxing your own consumers that much more.
2: Well I guess they do have to pay more in, in lobbying. So so Bradley, how would you how would you how would you approach gig economy stocks, public stocks, private companies, which I know you're focused on in your venture fund? Yeah. Will would you rethink it, given that that there is a potential change here to their business model and their economy it,
1: it, would really de- it would really depend on the company right so there are there are some companies that are heavily dependent on people who really do work 50 60 hours a week at that one platform um, it seems that they're going to be classified as, as w-2 so you have to refactor that into the math as to whether or not the deal makes sense um there are other companies though where people are working on average take handy for example which is on your list there 15 hours a week uh, whatever investment you might, may want to make or not make in handy shouldn't really be dictated by the concern about this new federal law because it's not going to really affect
2: Got it. Bradley Tuss, thank you for joining us. Good person <laughs> to talk try. to today on this big move. After the break, CME Group CEO Terry Duffy will join us to break down the wild swings in the bond market following another intervention by the Bank of England and a fresh warning just in the last few minutes. We'll talk about the impact for U.S. investors. You're watching Closing Bell on CNBC. 50 minutes left of trading, and now all three major averages are in the red with the SP down almost a full percent.
4: From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.
5: When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. Saving, researching, investing. Now you can take those investments to the next level with Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. I have an investment account with Schwab and a 401k with Fidelity, and I use Yahoo Finance to consolidate them. So it's incredibly easy to manage. They've been helping great investors like you for over 25 years. So whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking to level up, Yahoo Finance.com, the number one financial destination. Yahoo Finance.com. That's Yahoo Finance.com.
2: Just in the last few moments or so, Bank of England's Governor Andrew Bailey telling pension fund managers in the UK they have three days to rebalance their positions. This comes after the central bank had to intervene in the bond market for the second consecutive day and warning of a material risk to the financial stability in the uk it's clearly impacting our markets the u.s 10-year yield look at that we saw a spike up on that news so it's pressuring our bonds as well and it completely turned around the stock market the dow was on the upswing this afternoon we were high as high as up 400 points it is now negative we've lost steam in the s p 500 as well which is down uh, more than one percent joining us now is cme group ceo Terry Duffy, boy, perfect guest to have on, Terry, with your view into the rates market. How, how problematic is the situation out of the U.K.?
6: I don't know if it's problematic or not, sir. I just heard it myself as well. So, I, you know, I, I need to dig into it like everybody else and see what actually it's going to mean for them. But to have the, the U.K. Central Bank coming back into the market it um, was not a big surprise i think by a lot of people i think the real reaction will be does that do something to the the u.s. and the fed and do they want to come back in and create some liquidity they're looking for some stability somewhere somehow sir i don't know how they're going to do it the u.s. just made comments that they're going to take down their balance sheet they're going to take you know real rates up to a, a certain level four and a half four point seven five and then the our market reacts you know dramatically off of what andrew bailey said over in the uk so to be quite honest with you, I know this just happened, so I really need to dig into his comments more.
2: No, I, I mean, I was just asking generally about what's happening in the, UA, in the U.K. I think the concern right now is that he wants them to re, finish rebalancing by Friday when the Bank of England is due to end its, its bond buying. These central banks are in this position where, it, especially the U.K., it's needing to provide liquidity at a time where it's also needing to trim its balance sheet and raise rates to fight inflation. What's that doing to the markets?
6: Well, we, we see what it's doing to the market. The market hates it. And um, so, listen, the market doesn't like any more of these surprises going on. And I think we're, we continue to see them at the 11th hour, and it's not healthy for the marketplace. But, you know, everybody wants to figure out how to fight inflation. And sometimes the best way to fight inflation of high prices is with high prices. So, you know, I think the Fed needs to kind of st- take a st- uh, more of a balanced approach towards this. And central bankers around the world need to take a more balanced approach to this. It seems to be a bit irrational going on. I don't have the ultimate answer for you, Sarah, other than I think that we need to take a a better look at how we're approaching the central banks here, not only in the United States, but around the country.
2: Well, what what are you seeing in the U.S. rates market, Terry? Because there have been some concerns lately about the spillover that we're seeing from the U.K., not to mention what's happening with the Fed and whether whether there's some signs of strain emerging and potentially liquidity problems. What do you see?
6: I, I don't. I think that right now every the Fed knew exactly that it was going to create some liquidity issues when it said it was going to take down its balance sheet, as I said earlier, and the rates were going to go up. It's not like they didn't know that. They did it in 18, saw the movie, now we're here again. So I don't think they went into this blind. They knew there was going to be some liquidity issues. So I think what we're seeing is volatility, but we're not seeing dysfunction in the bond market. So I think that's actually a good thing. You know, you, you, you can, you're going to have volatility when you have free money for all these years and maybe potential moral hazards associated with that, and now all of a sudden we we're in a situation that we're in today. So, you know, I don't think it's a horrible thing. I think that there's volatility, but I don't think there's dysfunction, Sarah. So, again, I think that's,
2: that's interesting the way the markets
6: work when it, you have these dramatic events.
2: It's interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hammering you on it because you have a bird's-eye view, and, but also there's this, there's this feeling right now that the, that the Fed and other central banks are going to break something. That's sort of the, the concern out there, <laughs> but that, that when they do break something – then they'll come in and rescue it. And I'm just wondering if you think we are seeing that, close to that, if there's validity to that theory.
6: I I don't, I don't think they're gonna break something. I think they know exactly what they're doing. Listen, they've had plenty of opportunities. I've been a, a hawk on this for many years on your show and others saying that the feds had plenty of opportunity to take rates up when things are good. And now they didn't. So I do I think they're going to break something? I mean, you guys talk a lot about hard landings and soft landings. It all depends. And I've said this before to you, sir. It's in the eye of the beholder what the landing looks like. I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But I think they knew that going into it. They're fighting an inflation they've never seen before. You've got trillions of dollars of government money that went into the economy with nobody working, everybody fighting for the same products. I know I'm not saying anything novel or complex. We've all been talking about this, but nobody knows how to deal with it. So do I think they're going to break something? No. I think rates are going to go up. And when you think about it, the way they want it to come down is unemployment at 3.5, they want it to go away. So you look at all the politicians running for office, you don't see too many commercials about how they're going to create jobs anymore. So it is really crazy what's going on in the world today and i think a lot of it has to do with the pandemic and set the market up the way it did
2: yeah what i mean obviously high volumes are and uncertainty around the fed is good for your business terry where, where are you seeing the most volumes is it in rates or foreign exchange or energy i mean it's all kind of really volatile right now
6: cross the cost of board cross the board sir 36 percent up in futures 46 percent up in options on futures, you know, year over year in September. It's just amazing the way people need to continue to manage risk. And when you look at the interest rate market, especially what it does to the foreign exchange market, you guys were talking about crypto or somebody was talking about crypto earlier today, and crypto's been really quiet. Why is that? It's because foreign exchange has taken over as the way people wanna manage risk. And why is that? Because the cost of money's gone higher with interest rates, so people need to manage that risk. So that has been good for CME. When you look at energy, energy energy's been a really interesting asset class. We're seeing a tremendous amount of put buying which basically puts on short hedges for some of these people at these prices, which, you know, everybody's either got oil going to 200 a barrel or going back to zero. I'm not quite sure, but we're seeing a lot of activity on both sides of these markets, whether it's foreign exchange, whether it's energy, whether it's commodities, or especially with interest rates.
2: What about crypto, Terry? Because you have been getting into the business and have futures for Bitcoin and and Ethereum. And I'm curious what you've seen in terms of client interest as... Bitcoin has not really proven to be a safe store of value at all. It's down more than 60% this year. No,
6: no, there's no question. And the problem is when you look at what's going on with some of the precious metals, some would say they haven't been a good store of value either. So, you know, I think that just goes to the, the times we live in today. We, a lot of us, nobody has seen what's going on geopolitically around the world. And so a lot of these products are kind of uncertain in how they price. So Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies You know, I think it's really a time for them to decide, prove your use case, not prove your value case. And I think that's really where that market is trading at right now. Why some of the precious aren't rallying off of some of these geopolitical, I don't know. But um, as far as our business going into the Bitcoin and Ether, you know, our clients want to use it. But, you know, they really wanted it because of the volatility. So look at the volatility in cryptocurrencies over the last three months. It's zero. There's nothing going Mm. on. So I I think that's when you're seeing the market shift more to the fiat currencies, which have moved about 30 percent, you know, in volume for CME versus our crypto franchise.
2: Yeah, everyone wants a dollar now. Which is a good thing. Terry Duffy, thank you very much. Yes, they do. They definitely for, Thanks, for the sir, color, I it. it's really good to have you, especially on a day like today. Terry Duffy, CEO of CME Group. Let's show you what's happening with the markets because we are selling off. The S&P is down about a full, almost a full percent. Just, just off that low, we were down a full percent a moment ago. It's been wild. We got those headlines out of the UK, where the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey said this afternoon that pensioners should rebalance by Friday, as that central bank tries to stem the losses in its bond market. It's impacting us because we're seeing losses now in bonds, and that's hurting stocks. There's the Nasdaq down 1.4%. This is the fifth down day in a row for the S&P and the Nasdaq. It's only Tuesday, but the Nasdaq's down 2.5% so far for the week. Coming up, we're going to talk to a fund manager who's actually handily outperforming the market over the past year. We'll find out where he's putting money to work now amid this global slowdown. And then later, Wells Fargo just initiated a tech stock that it is calling a unicorn in software. We'll reveal the name, and we'll talk to the analyst who made that call. Closing bell back after a quick break with the Dow Down 7 points.
4: From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at t slash now.
2: Stocks giving up a sizable intraday comeback after Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey warned this afternoon that pension funds had three days to rebalance before the end of the bond buying program. There's the S&P 500 down more than eight tenths of a percent. It's technology, communication services, those groups getting hit the hardest That's where you see the most pain in the market when you see these bond yields rise. That's what we're seeing in the U.K., and it's spilling over into the U.S. bond market as well. Let's bring in Jeffrey's chief market strategist, David Zervos, on the news line to talk us through, David, the significance of this this comment from the Bank of England and and what we're seeing in terms of the market fallout. What do you think?
7: Hey, Sarah, nice to speak with you. And, uh, yes, look, it's important to understand that central banks are – trying somewhat to decompose uh, or separate out financial stability issues from monetary policy issues. We saw with the ECB the way that they created the anti fragmentation tool for Italian bonds. We're seeing it with the Bank of England, the way they're treating the long end of the guilt market, even though overall they're trying to manage inflation expectations, keep them anchored and tight monetary policy. It's a delicate balance. It's a difficult balance. But what it shows is the versatility of monetary policy, uh, and how far we've come from the days of, say, 1998, where the Fed had to cut rates during the long-term capital crisis because it really didn't have tools to deal with that uh, financial instability. And the economy was actually in great shape back then; we were growing at four percent. So those rate hikes, those rate cuts, actually created some some serious problems in '99 and 2000, probably the, the 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 peaking up of the of the Nasdaq bubble. So. I, I look at this not so negatively. I look at it as um, quite positive, actually.
2: Why? Why is it positive? They're, they're going to end up end this. Sounds like bond buying program. Even though the pensioners are asking them to continuing it to continue it till the end of next month, and they're dealing with this problematic situation where they have to fight financial stability concerns, as you say, but also fight inflation, and those two things don't go together.
7: Well, the reason I'm optimistic is that I, I, I guess I see that they're working around a financial instability issue. They're not going to let people out of jail for free, Sarah. I mean, at the end of the day, they so they, they they sort of sowed the seeds for this. Years of buying index length and, and long dated gilts at, at absolutely absurd prices, taking negative real yields to negative two and a half three percent for fifty to sixty years—crazy numbers. Um, And, you know, I I think there has to be some pain, but you don't want that to be a systemic event, something that sort of affects the entire financial system and requires a full-on turn in monetary policy. And I think what we're seeing is the beginnings of how central banks navigate that complicated landscape. So I wouldn't want to see central banks easing off too early here, Sarah, in the name of financial stability, only to create yeah. a de of inflation expectations down the road and a return to the 1970s. Yeah. That would be a disaster for me.
2: That would be really sure. bad. Okay, so Mike Santoli, who's at the Stock Exchange for us, uh, on the move in, in U.S. stocks, pretty jarring, especially for the Nasdaq, which is now down one and a half percent. Losers like Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, Amazon, Meta, the, the usual suspects. Explain how this impacts our market. Because the Dow is actually flat, it was up 400 points. But explain that the tie-in here and why these comments are so important.
3: Well, I would say there actually is no predetermined certain tie-in or impact, but it shows you how apprehensive the stock market is on any hint. Or suggestion that something could get more disorderly in global bond markets it really is about that it's a it's a loud noise in another part of the house and we're just going to get scared uh, because it might be something um, now clearly if our yields start to go north if the dollar you know kind of continues to squeeze higher that creates the whole set of relationships that means stocks are under pressure growth stocks are expensive under more pressure and the whole dynamic we've been seeing for months, but I don't think it's something that we know is going to happen in three days. It's much more about we have fragile psychology. We have a market that's basically sitting near its year-to-date lows. We're down 25%, uh, and it, it's kind of a uh, let's not, you know, be a hero into this type of environment. Um, so, I, I, again, I don't want to make it seem like we know how this turns out or, or that it was it is somehow a policy mistake, what the B of A governor said, uh, B of E governor said, but I, I do think it, it's understandable given where the market is and what it's fearful of that we would have this little bit of a of a kind of a wavering uh, reaction to it.
2: Just want to show everybody maybe the intraday chart, if we could, of the market, because, boy, have we been all over the place today. Uh, There's the intraday started weaker in the the morning. Then we were climbing and it looked like we were going to break a four day losing streak for the S&P and for the Nasdaq. Got as high as up 400 points on the Dow, as you can see, gave it all back and then some, and now have an S&P that's almost down a full percent and a Nasdaq that's down one and a half percent on the back of those headlines from the Bank of England, saying they're going to wrap up their bond buying program. Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey telling the pensions to rebalance by Friday, earlier clearly than the market thought. David Zervos on the news line with us, Jeffrey's macro strategist, who you want to have on a day like today. And I guess the, the question becomes, David... As we talk about the impact on the U.S. market and rising bond yields and financial instability and and all of those concerns, will the Fed have to step in? Will the Fed have to get involved here in some sort of way that that is trying to go against what they're trying to do, which is fight inflation, trimming the balance sheet and raising interest rates?
7: You know, it it very well could happen, Sarah. We could find ourselves in a position where something starts to look, highly disorderly uh systemic in nature forced selling becomes a a storyline like it's become with the ldi story in um and the leverage inside of the uk insurance and pension fund industry but as of yet we haven't um and we've had you know quite a lot of tightening to go uh so that's somewhat good news but it's early days and it may happen i guess i just say sarah It is important to think about how far we've come with monetary policy and financial stability and macroprudential tools and how much we can kind of dissect out the monetary policy from the financial stability. There's nothing that says that the Bank of England can't sort of stop the program, see how it goes. And if something looks like it's going to metastasize again in the long end, they kind of come back in and and, and try to fix it. So I, I think... Look, I, I think the market wants to somehow sort of see these financial instability issues as a pivot by central banks. So it gets excited that central banks are going to slow down a little bit because of financial instability. And when, and when we get the, the, them solving them without slowing down the overall tightening process, maybe the market gets a little less, uh, less exuberant. And that may be a little bit of what we're seeing today.
2: Well, we did get comments yesterday from Fed Vice Chair Lael Brainard, who, who specifically mentioned the liquidity concerns in the market. Yeah, yes, she, she made inflation clearly the number one fight, but mentioning that, mentioning some of the global spillover risks, potentially a sign, David, that the, that the Fed may consider slowing down? I don't know. What do you think? Are we still expecting a jumbo-sized rate hike and then 50 in December?
7: You know, I I I do think the Fed is trying to set up for a sort of an end of a uh, uh, you know the end innings in this game of getting us up to four four and a half and seeing what that does and what breaks and what doesn't and and they're going to have a lot of reasons to kind of I don't think they're going to declare early victory, Sarah, but they're gonna they're gonna talk about inflation expectations being very well contained five year five year break evens never really breaking out of a two to two and a half percent range during this entire inflation spike, but also the break-even market really coming back across the curve and real rates rising up uh, across the curve uh, in the last quarter or two. And I think they can point to a stronger dollar, an inverted curve, uh, weakness in in things like gold, which is all all signs that the Fed has kind of maintained its credibility, kept its its fight against uh, the inflation anchor coming undone. And so it probably earns a little bit of time to wait and watch. And that may be for early next year or very late this year. But I think it's all those are those are the sort of ending games, not begin beginning uh, end ending issues, not beginning. And Leo may really be kind of setting us up a little bit more for that. And the market kind of takes its cue from that and gets gets a little bit more positive just to just because it, it can see some light at the end of the tunnel.
2: David Zervos, great to have you call in. Thank you very much from Jeffries Always and Mike fun. Santoli. Stay close. As well, as we continue to watch the sell off, the Dow, by the way, just going back into positive territory, we're well off the highs. We were up more than 400. There's the S&P 500 down eight tenths of a percent. You've still got pockets of strength today. Staples, real estate and healthcare defensive groups. Those three are are actually holding up and are positive right now. It's technology, communication services, financials, consumer discretionary. Each of those sectors down more than a percent. The S&P 500 falling nearly 17 percent now over the past year. Up next, one of the few fund managers posting a positive return during that time. He's going to be here to give us his top picks going into year end. We'll be right back on Closing Bell. Stocks turning lower this afternoon after the Bank of England governor, Andrew Bailey, warned pension fund managers to rebalance by Friday, saying you've got three days left now as, as they deal with this bond buying program to calm down their bond market. The uncertainty in the U.K., adding a more negative sentiment to a market that's been under serious pressure all year long. But there are several funds that have managed to post gains, according to a recent Wall Street Journal story highlighting them. One of the funds profiled is Millencamp Fund, ranked number three by the journal. That fund has beaten the S&P 500 in the past year. And joining us now is the portfolio manager for the Millencamp Fund, Jeff Mullenkamp. Jeff, it's good to have you here. How do you outperform in a market like this where, where we now have to go study British pension funds and whether they're facing margin calls. Hi,
8: Sarah. Thanks for having me on today. Um, we really didn't approach it from that perspective. About a year ago, uh, we started to, to sell some of the, the best performing stocks that we had had because they had gotten overpriced and because it looked like the price momentum was changing, right? They had gone from continually running up to running down. So it looked to us like the dynamics in the market were changing. Um, And so we started to raise cash, and we simply did not see the value we were looking for to put that cash to work. You know, inflation had come to town. The Fed still really hadn't grappled with the inflation issue. The way we model value for stocks, inflation is one of the primary inputs along with return on shareholder equity. So we actually increased uh, our standards, if you will, for what we were looking for because of the increase in inflation. And so we simply weren't finding stocks that met the the valuation criteria. Um, It helped that we were a little bit fortunate. Uh, We saw some value, in fact, a a lot of value in some energy stocks late last year and early this year. We picked those up. And then, of course, you have the energy problems in Europe that preceded the Ukraine war and then the additional problems that happened after the Ukraine war kicked off. So all those things kind of came together. Energy uh, energy's done very well for us this year. We still like sure. uh, our names in energy. And I think uh, you've probably seen those those picks. Um, we'd still yeah, like our names.
2: Well, I, I wanted uh, energy is the only sector higher this year, up 44 percent with a with a and p 500 down 25 percent. It's pretty stark. We're looking at some of your top holdings. So so, Jeff, now what is the the strategy as inflation potentially should come down here now? Right. With the Fed hiking a lot and and with some of the commodities and shipping rates off off their highs. How do you Uh, tweak that that strategy?
8: So a couple of points, you know, coming down off of eight percent is great. But to what are we coming down to five? Are we coming down to four? Uh, Our kind of base case is that inflation will come down, but we're not going to get all the way back down to the two or three percent that the Fed would like to see before one of the crises that you just got done talking to David Zervos about, and, and I follow him and he's a great guy to follow, uh, comes to fruition, right? That's kind of our a base case. I'm not certain it's going to happen, but I think it's reasonably likely that you're going to get some problem somewhere in the markets or somewhere around the world that the Fed cares very deeply about and comes off the inflation fight to go solve that problem. Whether it's a crisis or not, they'll have to go solve that problem. So it's going to be kind of a two steps forward, one step back on inflation. And so we kind so wh- of think mm-hmm. go ahead, I'm sorry.
2: No, no, no. Please please finish and, and share if you could where where the biggest concentration of the of the fund is right now, which which sectors, what type well, it's of energy.
8: It's it's clearly yeah. energy. Still. Um, what we did was we went through and made sure that the, the companies we held would do well in a higher inflation environment. And with the cash we raised, we're frankly just looking for the fat pitch uh, to put that money back to work. We expect that will come you know, sometime in the near future, but don't ask me to predict when. The energy is a little bit different. Energy has its own internal dynamics for the industry. We went through the boom with the shale. We went through the bust uh, that really hit a crescendo in April of 2020 when the price of crude was minus $20 a barrel, right? So the companies that survived that bust took away the incentives for growth that they had put in place and now put in place incentives for profitability and return on shareholder equity so they're generating lots of cash they're paying down their debt they're much better run companies from that perspective than they had been that's what made them attractive to us that's why we started uh, working our way into the space late last year that's why we remain interested really going forward and then all the turmoil around the globe generated by um, the Ukraine mm-hmm. war and the sanctions against Russia, et cetera, only kind of turbocharge that, right? You've got a lot of uncertainty yes. in the energy space. And, and frankly, Europe is facing a, an energy crisis um, of, of a magnitude that I don't think we've seen in my lifetime. This is, this right. is worse than our 1970s energy crisis, right? That was just mm-hmm. the price of gasoline. This is the price of heating oil. This is the price of natural gas to heat. And natural mm-hmm. gas, in particular, is, is difficult to ship. And it's also yep. a feedstock, not just an energy source. So it's creating lots of problems for
2: them. Yeah, and, and one reason why energy continues to outperform is up 10% so far this month. Jeff, thank you very much. We'll continue to follow uh, you and your returns. Jeff Mullenkamp. Meta, take a look. Major underperformer today following a big downgrade. We'll have details straight ahead. That story plus Coinbase crushing it, and blue skies ahead for one airline. When we take you inside the market zone, as you can see, the Dow is outperforming. It's up 36 points right now. The S&P 500, though, still under some pressure, down about three quarters of one percent. And the Nasdaq down one and a quarter percent. We'll be right back with the market zone next. We are now in the Closing Bell Market Zone. CNBC Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli with us to break down these crucial moments of the trading day, as always. Plus, we've got Jeffrey Sheila Kayalu on Boeing and the airlines making moves today. And Steve Kovac on Meta with some new announcements. We'll kick it off, though, with the broad market and that turnaround we saw in stocks. It looked like things were going to recover today. Pretty much all afternoon, the S&P was higher. It looks like we were going to break a four-day losing streak, Mike, and then we lost it on some some Bank of England headlines. We are off the lows right now. The S&P now down a half a percent, j- just clearly highlighting all of the fragility out there and the fact that, you know, people say, a lot of people say, we need to see bonds stabilize before we can see sure. anything like that in stocks. Do you, do you agree
3: with that? Right. Uh, On a sustained basis, yes, we would need bond volatility to come down to have uh, stocks really to get an uptrend going. We're going to see bounces no matter what markets. You know, again, we've been wallowing down near the lows here, testing these year-to-date lows. Uh, I do think it shows you the raw nerves uh, in the market right now. Anything that suggests things are going to get messier in global bond markets, it doesn't uh, necessarily take a lot for it to create a little bit of defensiveness. And you have defensiveness there. You have the big tech and semis again losing. You have some defensive sectors doing well. On the other hand, our bond markets are not really doing much on this news. Uh, in fact, there might eventually get uh, to be a bit more of a safety bid in Treasuries. So I, I mm-hmm. see it. Is a little bit of a, of a neutral setup. It's kind of a push-pull. And we might have a modest loss, but we've so far held the recent lows.
2: If you're, Yeah. If, if you're looking for what's working right now in the NASDAQ, it's the safe havens or defensive stocks. Amgen, yeah. Pepsi, PepsiCo out with results tomorrow. Mondelez, all the tech stocks are getting hit pretty hard. Microsoft, the biggest drag there. Let's hit some of the travel names. American Airlines gets a lift after saying strong summer travel demand. Help boost third-quarter sales and lessen the pain from those higher costs. That stock is working. Boeing, though losing its gains by the afternoon, the stock had been rallying on high demand for its jets in September. Airline orders rising by 90 last month. Let's break down these moves with Jeffries Aerospace Analyst Sheila Kayalu. She's got a hold on American, and Sheila, a long-time buy on Boeing, which is why we really wanted to talk to you, because even with the big declines we've seen this this year going against your target – you have hung in there on Boeing. Is is, is this is a story going to start to work?
0: Eventually, we hope, um, you know, the airlines are very healthy, as we saw from American today, raising its guidance slightly. Pricing is good. The corporate, corporate recovery is coming back. But on the airline side, we're more worried about cost pressures into 2023 and into q 4 On Boeing, um, you know, they're really falling short on the max deliveries. Uh, they were at 30 sets, a few short this month, and although they did have a good order month this month at 90, um, they're still at about 40 percent share when we year-to-date net orders versus Airbus. So in there, but what we're looking at their November 1st analyst day is answers from CEO Calhoun on what they're doing to shore up the order book a little bit better and when profits will eventually recover within their commercial air business.
2: What about the fact that we continue to get good updates from these airlines, and yet the global economy continues to deteriorate. Just just today, the IMF with a big downgrade in the forecast for next year, warn, warning the worst is yet to come. How do how do airline investors square those two things?
0: I I think that's really our bearish view on air, the airline is Fed is targeting inflation and airline fares are a big component of that. So we think pricing, which is driving transms higher, come in next year into twenty twenty-three, but we're seeing still seeing very robust spending in the second half of 2022. So, um, you know, airline sector is doing well right now, but we don't know how long that is sustainable and cost pressures like rising fuel prices, rising labor prices are going to impact the airline industry. So we're have a cautious stance there, but we're still hoping for that Boeing recovery. Um, And, you know, uh, lastly, I would say we're we're remaining positive on the defense uh, sector as well.
2: Got it. Thank you for joining us. Sheila Kayalu, with, with some of the picks there in the airline and travel space. Look at Meta. It's one of the big underperformers today. Atlantic Equities downgrading the stock to neutral from overweight, citing an increasingly challenged growth outlook because of strengthening macro headwinds and increasing advertising competition. Meanwhile, Meta announcing a new VR headset as it pivots to the metaverse. Steve Kovac joins us. Did we learn anything new from, from either the Facebook event today or from, from this downgrade? There have been these concerns out there for a while.
9: Yeah, yeah, Sarah, they're uh, very consistent concerns that we've been hearing from Meta, especially about them monetizing Reels, which is their TikTok competitor. They're still struggling to do that, not to mention the journal a couple weeks ago said people really aren't using it the way they need to be using it in order to make money. Now, on to today's event. I'll talk about the headset in a second and all the whiz-bang features there. But honestly, more important for our audience to know is the app side of things. They spent a lot of time at the front of this event basically convincing developers you need to make apps and games for this. There's an opportunity to make money here. They pointed out some examples of developers who have made a million or more dollars so far in the Oculus App Store that's specific to that headset. Because look, Sarah, no one's going to buy this device if there's nothing to do on it. And that's been the biggest uh, criticism so far of the previous versions of the headset. It's fun to use for, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. But after that, you're bored and it collects dust in your closet for, for many months. I had to update mine today for over an hour just to to watch the events uh, in the metaverse. So on <laughs> so, so onto, the, um, onto the new headset, though. This is a $1,500 headset. Now, look, Zuckerberg has said he doesn't want to sell expensive hardware, but this thing is way more expensive. It's more expensive than, I think, the most expensive iPhone, believe it or not. And he's criticized companies like Apple for putting out uh, high-priced products that are out of reach for most people. He thinks the metaverse should be cheap and accessible and funded and supplemented by advertising. That's not what he announced today. What announced today was a very expensive piece of hardware that's going to be hard to convince people to buy because of what I said about the apps. There's not a lot to do on there yet, or at least not a lot to, uh, to keep people stuck and locked into the device. So it's going to be really interesting to see this thing goes on sale on October 25th, Sarah, and, we're, and we'll get a, you know some insight into whether or not people want to snap this up.
2: Yeah. D- doesn't look like investors are too excited about it at the moment. Thank you, Steve Kovac. Sure. Just wanted to go to you, Mike, on, on Meta's stock, which is 4% lower and now 64% or so off the highs. It's basically at, at the lows right now. And just how much of these concerns are factored
3: in? Yeah, I would say one of the most out of favor Megan cap stocks. And, you know, without meaning any disrespect, the fact that it's down 4%, this Atlantic equities downgrade, I don't think there was anything new in that downgrade. It just shows you that investors are not necessarily seeing with this product rollout the, the return on the investment that they would like to most likely. An earnings forecast for the current year, a year ago, were supposed to be $14 a share. Right now, the full year estimate's under $10 a share. So as much as you'd like to say it's a reasonably valued stock right now, in fact, it's looking cheap uh, relative to others in the group, Um, The the, the target just keeps dropping in terms of where the profits are going to settle out. So I think that's going to be an issue. Ultimately, you know, you have to believe uh, that value is going to matter here. But it's uh, it's tough to make the case until you see estimates stabilize.
2: By the way, just watching the Nasdaq, which is lower again for its fifth day in a row, Mike, it's hitting its lowest level since July 2020 in the session. Today, it's down one percent. It's off the lows. But boy, does it continue to bear the brunt? Of the selling here
3: it does and you know that's exactly the way that it really hogged the upside on the way up in in 2021 so it really is just an unwind of a lot of the things that got us to those peaks remember the nasdaq peaked on november 19th of last year uh so we're pushing 11 months since the peak there it's also still five six percent above the pre-pandemic peak semis are well above that level so I I think that you know it's really just a reflection of how much had built up in the way of uh, excess value and and that premium that's been then bled out of the NASDAQ relative to other parts of, uh, of the market and I keep pointing out the eco weighted S p' has been a strong outperformer versus the mega caps sure. all year
2: all right we are seeing some improvement just showing everybody small caps are now in positive territory and so is the Dow the S p's off the lows of the day, still down six-tenths of a percent. Coinbase shares just want to hit are popping because Google announcing it will now allow some cloud customers to pay using cryptocurrencies through Coinbase. Meanwhile, Coinbase winning regulatory approval in Singapore as it continues its overseas expansion. Kate Rooney joining us now. Kate, how significant is the Google partnership? Seems like a big vote of confidence.
10: Yeah, that's exactly what it is, Sarah. It is really validating for Coinbase. It's seen as a really good thing for the stock. We saw a similar pop when uh, Coinbase announced that BlackRock partnership, and that was at the time it was up about 20%. We saw as much of an 8% pop this morning on Coinbase. It's seen as validating and a sign that uh, Coinbase is diversifying away from just trading revenue, which really is still, it's bread and butter. Analysts I'm talking to those say it's too soon to tell how creative this will be. It's more, the bigger deal here is that Google is using them for Coinbase custody. We'll see if this really adds to the bottom line and what it means for the long term. The other thing I would point out, that Singapore news may be more of a big deal in the near term because it could expand uh, the company overseas, get more trading uh, volume overseas. And that's really been a long term play for Coinbase as more competition emerges from FTX and some of the other big global competitors.
2: Got it. Kate Rooney. Kate, thank you very much. Highlighting Coinbase up almost 5%. As we go into the close, what a session. We've been all over the place. Started lower, climbed throughout the day, got as high as up 400 points on the Dow, lost it all late in the trading day, just before the top of this hour on some comments from the Bank of England's uh, head Governor Andrew Bailey that the pension funds that they've been trying to help bail out here have three days to rebalance uh, before they stop buying bonds. That hurt the U.S. market, hurt U.S. bonds a little bit. The S&P 500 is still lower. It looks like we're going to go for five days down, about seven tenths of one percent. The Nasdaq comp down a little bit more than one percent. Of course, that's where we see the most selling on days where there are concerns about the bond market, and that seems to be the case. Microsoft, Apple, Tesla, Meta, those are the big drags right now, both on the s and on the Nasdaq, which is going out with another more than 1% decline at a two-year low. In the next hour, a conversation with Johnny Yellen, the Treasury Secretary of the U.S., on all of this, concerns about the market and the global economy. That's going to do it here for me on Closing Bell.
4: From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive.